What you are about to hear is a lesson taught in the Baird and Born Essentials class. For more information, or to download all the resources made available in this class, click the link in the episode description or visit barrettandborn.com. And now, this week's Essentials class. Let me read this passage to you from Romans chapter 6, just the first four verses. Romans chapter 6. The scripture says, What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in the newness of life. Um, I came across an issue as I was teaching classes uh, at various churches and I struggled to help people move from new Christian to not so new Christian. Someone that was not necessarily a theologian or a pastor, but who was confident in their prayer life, in their Bible study. They knew what God's will was. Remember, Pastor Andrew was talking about this last week. They knew what God's will was, and they just knew what their purpose was. They, they knew what they were doing. And so I thought about it, and I created this class because my thought was, well, they don't understand the Bible enough, so what i got to do is I've got to get them the whole Bible. And if I can get everybody to understand the whole Bible, then they'll be all set. And so I did this year-long class at the church, and I'll give you the long and short of it. Uh, We did a lot of presentation, and we did a lot of pizzazz, and we went through almost the entire scripture. And when I got to the end of the year, it just seemed like no one had progressed at all. It was just very, and so I wondered, what's the problem here? And I also noticed that we always try to reinvent the wheel, right? New book, new series, new thing. Somehow we got to spark this. And I was reading a book that actually Tony gave to me. And it was just about some ancient practices that the church has always done when somebody has come into the church. Because to be honest with you, we have screens and whiteboards and printers. They didn't have that when the church started. Uh, It was word of mouth and, and speaking to each other. And as I read this, I thought to myself, well, maybe we shouldn't be reinventing the wheel. Maybe we should just be doing what the church has done for a very long time because that seemed to work for a very long time. And so we developed what we are calling an essentials class. Now, I call this an essentials class because this is not a beginner's class. That, that, that means that if you've been a Christian for 20 or 30 years, you don't say, oh, maybe I'm not going to show up to this because I already know this stuff. It's not a beginner's class. Although if you're a beginner, you can do it. It's what we're calling an essentials class. And we are going to study this topic for probably about six months. This is going to go from here to just a little bit before Easter. So that's what we're going to do during this time. And so we're calling it the essentials class. This verse that I read to you where he says that we have been buried with Christ so that we uh, may walk with Christ is sort of the essence of the Christian life. We We live in a world where... Uh, the, the, the normal course of events are that you are born, that you live your entire life, that you figure everything out along the way, that you grow, that you accumulate, and then eventually when it gets to the end, you die. 
And the Christian model is the exact opposite. We are not born and then eventually buried, but the Christian model is that we are supposed to be buried first so that we might be born again. And so what we're going to do is we're going to walk this path of what the church has always taught to its people to help them with three things. Number one, to know Jesus better. Number two, to follow Jesus better. And number three, to be more like Jesus. And so that's what we're going to do. And I'm going to hopefully help us together, whether we've been in this for a very long time or in this for a very short time, focus on the essentials of the faith. Now, I want to say this to you. This is very important. This class is not primarily a mental exercise. This is not meant, and I'll explain this as we go along, this is not meant simply for you to sit and hear, and hopefully your brain expands so much that you become a great Christian. This class is going to have a lot of participation. We're going to have engagement. I have resources for you. When I first started teaching 20 years ago, I thought that if I just preached real good, everything would be fine. And then I found out that I actually had to teach people how to do things. And if I preached real good, and if I taught them how to do things, that they would become good Christians. Well, I'm beyond all that now. And I realize that what we really have to do is practice the Christian faith together. And as we practice it together, we're going to grow. How many of you, if you can be honest with me at, in, in your life, whether it's right this very moment or in the past, you have struggled with either A, consistency in praying and reading the Bible, or B, having enough care to bother reading the Bible and praying, or C, not knowing what at all it is you're supposed to do, but you've got this book sitting on your shelf, right? I get it all the time. For me, my problem is consistency. Years ago, uh, my friend Jeff and I decided that we were going to read the entire Bible together in, was it four months? Three months. In three months. I think we had to read 10 chapters a day, every day. <laughs> that was wrong. There were certain days, I'll tell you what, there were certain days where I was leaning heavily on the Psalms, right? To, because like, this one, sure, that counts as one. Uh, but we did that, right? Well, we did it for three months, so we did it. But I struggle with consistency. I've always struggled with consistency. And I found some things that are so simple and so practical that when I started doing these things um, and I found out this is what the church did, it made my prayer life consistent, <coughs> my Bible reading consistent and full of joy and fullness and receiving the grace of God. And that's what we're going to work on uh, together. Because I know that the church struggles. Because if you are, and I'm not any single one of you, but if you are the same as just about every other church, the polls would have it, that you are one of the people who may not often open their Bibles, whether it's because we have apathy. I was in a church, well, there's only one that I was in recently, but I was at church and I was talking about the, the book of Matthew. And I had one of the gentlemen in, in the crowd say to me, um, about reading the Bible, because I said, what's the reason that you're struggling to read the Bible? Just give me some reasons that, wh why. And one of, one of the people in the, in the church said, because I read it. I get it. I know the stories. And that's true. 
I could probably point out to you and say, how many know the story of this? And how many know the story of that? How many know the story of that? And what happens is you would look back at me and you would say, yeah, I know all those stories. And so there's a little bit inside of us, this idea that in your busy life, you've got to go to work and you've got to take care of the kids and you've got a lot to do. You're very busy. I don't really have time to reread that David killed Goliath. I got it. Let's go. Is that fair? Now it's wrong, but it's fair, right? You also, and how many of you have thought in January, because this is what we always do, in January, I'm going to read my Bible, right? I'm going to read my Bible. And where do you always start, generally? Genesis. And where do you always stop? Genesis. <laughs> Genesis. You stop in Genesis, or if you're like most people, you stop, stop in Leviticus. Now, I'm not going to make fun of Leviticus. It's a good book. But... <laughs> It's, somebody, somebody said it's terrible. Okay. I'm not going to mock Leviticus. But honestly, you start reading through First and Second Kings, and you get through a lot of stories that apply to a culture and a time that you're not very familiar with, and then you hit First and Second Chronicles, and you're like, I already read this. They put this in here twice. <laughs> Most Christians haven't read the prophets, mostly because we have no idea what they're talking about. And second of all, You've already quit by the time the prophets show up on your Bible reading schedule. Or you start in Matthew and you get to Mark and you get to Luke and you realize you've read some of these stories already. And then Lord knows if you start hitting up the Apostle Paul, Paul had ADHD. Paul writes seven different allegories in one chapter, bounces back and forth, and it's the densest thing you've ever read in your life. And there could be 15 sermons out of one passage. And you get bogged down. Okay, I hope that we can work together and resolve this together. It's like as the, a church. The part of the Bible where it's like this begat this person, who begat that, who begat that. I have something for you. I, okay, you hear the you hear the begats? Okay, all right. Well, let's go. Oh, this is what I'm gonna. T this is for later in my lesson, but I'll say it right now. I have endless amount of material for us to cover in the next six or seven months. But my favorite thing is when you get me off topic. Because I know that whatever thing that you ask about or talk about is the thing that really matters to you. And if you can learn that thing, it'll be better for you than whatever thing I've got prepared. So feel good about raising it. We were doing, we were going through the creed at, the, at, at my last church and I was teaching on the Trinity. And I thought, I don't know, man, I like to tell jokes and give a good sermon. These guys are going to be bored out of their mind talking about the Trinity. And boy, were they excited because people started asking questions. I had one guy say, say he said, you know, you're talking about the Trinity. I know this is off subject, but can we talk about Mary for a minute? And I was like, yeah, let's talk about Mary. Nobody ever talks about Mary. Let's do it. We spent an entire class. I was teaching the truth. We spent an entire class talking about Mary just because he didn't understand why some sects of Christianity are Catholic. more Mary heavy and some are not. So we just talked about it. So if that's the thing that's on your brain, call it out when we're talking about something. Let's get off subject and we'll do it. Um, and so the goal is that through participation in the Christian faith that has been handed down from the apostles, that we will grow together as Christians, not only in mind, but also in our actions, in our joy, and we become more like Jesus. Okay? We'll get to that uh, as we go. I want you to understand that this book, it was not, there, Paul didn't have any of these. Nice gold trim, full, everything bound together, okay? The church did not hand these out right off the bat. The Christian faith is a faith that was practiced together as a group of people, and it was transmitted 
back and forth, face-to-face, person-to-person, conversation-to-conversation. And so what we don't want to do is take someone who's a new Christian and just give them the Bible and be like, read that, you got it, and come back and everything will be fine. Because the truth is, and I've seen this in many cases, while this word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, don't get me wrong, a disciple is a disciple by definition because someone else is teaching them and walking with them on the journey. Okay, And so the Christian faith, as the apostle tells us, is the faith handed down from the apostles. Christ taught John, and John taught Polycarp, and Polycarp taught his church, and on and on and on, and then we're going talk to talk to, talk to each other about it. Now, when we have question and answer time, I like to call it question response time, because I don't know, but I'll do my best. And so we'll work together on that. So this is called the Essentials class. I also like for things to be visual. My, my mouse died today, so I'm using my son Chase's mouse, so we'll see how this works. I like for things to be uh, visible, but um, I also like to get off topic. So forgive me if we don't go on, go on the uh, exact path. This is our verse that I want to say is the, is the reason why we're going to have this class, the purpose. The purpose of our class, confirming the souls of the disciple, Acts tells us, and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. How many of you came from a church where when you were a kid you had to go through confirmation? Confirmation class? You've heard of confirmation? Okay. Coming from the same perspective, what happens is someone believes in Christ, and we don't want to leave that person hanging, but we want to confirm or strengthen that person in the faith and also exhort them to continue, to keep going, to continue in the faith and to continue growing, not to stagnate. Now, when I wrote this verse up here, I was going to chop off the end, but it is what it is, and it says that we we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Christianity is the death of our own selves, the death of our sin, the death of our flesh, and the death of the world and Satan's power over us that we might be born again to a completely new life. Not just a completely new heaven, but a completely new life, a completely new purpose, a new relationship with Jesus. Now, I am from Baptist background. You may not be from Baptist background. I'm from Baptist background. So everybody notices what's dirtiest in their own house, not in what anyone else's house is. So you will often hear me say, the problem with Baptists is, and you may in your mind go, why doesn't he ever say the problem with Lutherans? Because I don't know what they're doing, but I know what Baptists are doing. So you'll hear me say, one of the problems with Baptists is, um, and so don't get me wrong, it's not that I don't like the Baptists. I'm here. Uh, (laughs) Right? It's just that we, you know, we, we clean house sometimes. And what Baptists have, have uh, often done is that they've said we are um, autonomous. We have no authority over us. It's just God. Um, we, we know, how many of you heard this? I don't need to go to a priest to confess my sins. I go right to Jesus. And then also uh, they'll say, uh, you know, we don't need tradition or the church hierarchy. We just need this book. And that's really fine if that's the, the path you're going. The problem is if you never go to God and you never go to the book, then I don't understand what the point of saying that you're a Protestant is, right? So let's go to God and let's go to the book if that's what we're going to claim. And so in this class, the idea is that we are, I'm, we are going to attempt to confirm ourselves, to strengthen ourselves, to build ourselves up. Again, not just mentally, and I'll show you here in a minute, but mind, body, soul, everything, our entire selves strengthened so that we would be able to do those three things. Know Jesus obey Jesus and become like him. I don't want to get any one of those out of, I don't want to say out of order, but I don't want to get any one of those uh, have one but not the other. Sometimes we focus, uh, it, it, you hear this, that you ought to be like Jesus. 
right? We ought to be like Jesus. We ought to be like Jesus. My friend, we cannot be like Jesus outside of the Spirit's help. And if we're constantly trying to be like Jesus, that's not our goal. The goal is for God to make us like Jesus. We can't try to be like Jesus. I remember as a kid, there was this thing I was doing wrong. I don't remember. I used to get in trouble in school a lot for like talking and doing silly things and not paying attention. And I remember that I was trying my hardest to not do that thing. And then I did that thing. And I remember my prayer. My prayer was, God, you know, I wouldn't do that. You know that I would not do that. Just please forgive me. You know, I wouldn't do that. Okay. The point of being a human is that God knows that you would do that. And he forgives us. Right? And so we're not going to try to approach God. You know, I'm, I'm trying to be like Jesus. I'm trying to be like Jesus. God, I know you're disappointed in me. God's perspective already is, I know you're not like Jesus. That's why I sent you, Jesus, so that I could remake you to be like Jesus. Come and get my grace. Don't come to try to perform for me. Okay? That's where we're going. So trying to be like Jesus, and we are trying to obey Jesus. I'll tell you this, and I think I said it to you recently uh, in a class. I'm getting really tired of seeing the words of Jesus in the scripture and then coming to church and talking to Christians who then spend the majority of the time trying to work around what Jesus said because it doesn't match what they see on the news at seven o'clock. Okay? If the Lord said it is more blessed to give than receive, then we need to begin with that as our seed and build everything out of that, not try to explain that away or categorize that or, well, it works in these situations. But in these situations, the Lord's word is universal. Okay? Uh, When the Lord says what he says in Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers, that's a universal statement. That's not, well, blessed are the peacemakers, but listen, in this scenario, but in these scenarios, no, 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 no. So we've got to learn to see the words of Jesus, familiarize ourselves with them, and begin following and obeying exactly what he teaches us to do, knowing that we fail and will often have to come to him for forgiveness, which he infinitely, mercifully gives to us. So we want to be like Jesus. We want to obey Jesus. And I will hit this over and over again with you, but we want to be with Jesus. Jesus. We want to be with Jesus. This is a struggle in, ready for it, in a lot of Baptist evangelical churches. Is that a lot of us are really busy. We got a lot going on. We, you saw it. The guys were in here singing before, and we got ushers, and we got deacons, and we got teachers, and we got classes, and we got people doing this, that, and the other. We got sound people. We got a lot going on. So it's a lot of work to do. And then there's a lot of, in the midst of that work, Jesus calling and saying, hey, I love the fact that you had that meeting, and I love the fact that you had that class, and I love the fact that you had X, Y, and Z, but you came to church today to be with me, both in spirit and in the other people that showed up. Christ shows up in your faces and in my face to you. That's why we come together. We don't come together because once a week he's keeping check on us. Uh, make sure everybody is doing their church thing. We come together because we're the body of Christ. And so I see Christ in you and you see Christ in me and we strengthen as we exhort each other together. Meaning I need you here. That's a, that's a good way for a teacher to get people to show up to class. I need you here. But I actually do need you here. You can't do, when people say, well, I could do God without church. You just physically can't. It's not possible. It's not a preference. It's not an opinion. You can't. Because Jesus shows up where two or three are gathered together. And it's not a, that's not a, a minimum unit. He's like, oh, minimum has got to be two to three. What he's trying to say is, 
He is the result of when two or three or more come together in his name under his banner, Christ shows up. And so if we leave this room having not met with or known Christ, then we're just doing a mental exercise and that's not the point. And so the entire point of the Christian faith is participation and unification with Jesus so that you know him and that you experience him and that you and he are breathing in and out the same breath and the same life. Not simply that Pastor Andrew is going to teach about Jesus, not simply that you're going to sing about Jesus in church, but that you and Jesus know each other, that you walk away from your morning prayers or your evening prayers or your time with God. I know him. I was with him. And so those are going to be the three things, the three areas that are confirming or are building up are going to be. Let's see if we can continue on here. Let's talk about our three class topics that we're going to go through over the next uh, few months together. Number one is what we believe. Number two is how we worship. And number three is how we live. So let me, let me, let me explain this to you. If there were three generations, the baby boomers, generation X, and then millennials and below, they would disagree on which of the three of these are most important. Baby boomers will go with number one, what we believe. Doctrinal purity is important. Can't get it wrong. Gen X, who's more about their appearance, is going to be number two. The 90s DC Talk style, we got to make church cool again, right? How we worship is a Gen X mentality. My generation and below doesn't care about one or two. They only care about number three, how we live. Look, I don't care what your doctrine is. Let's just be good people. That's what generally how it works. But these three can't be out of balance. We get one of these wrong, it's going to affect the other two. If what we believe about God is wrong or off, it's going to affect how you have um, your uh, number two and number three. Let me give you an example. How many of you have heard this phrase? The first time Jesus came, he came as a servant. But when he comes back, he's coming as a warrior. How many of you have heard that? Okay. Revelation says, John says in Revelation, when he sees Jesus at the end, and I saw him standing as a lamb that was slain. I'll tell you this. Jesus has eternally been the lamb. He came the first time as a lamb, and he's coming the second time as a lamb because he is the Lord and he does not change. All right, that's, I, all right I'm feeling you out. I got a lot less amens on that. That's good. That's good. Let's keep playing it out. Now listen, I want to argue. Listen, my last week at Emmanuel, we had a whole big disagreement on, on the meaning of heaven and the resurrection. It was really fun just for an hour. And then they, and then they gave me a chicken lunch and I left. <laughs> okay. Why is this important and why did I mention the generations? Because when I ding some of these, different generations are going to pop and go, yeah, that's really important. So when I'm talking about what we believe, the older generations are going to go, yes, this is important. We can't get this wrong. Right. When I talk about how we worship, that middle generation, X generations go, yeah, yeah, this is right. We got to get our worship right. We got to get how we're the things we do at church, right? Our programs, right? And then when I hit how we live, that's when the millennials will start waking up and say, I didn't care about one or two, but I want to hit number three. Why did I say the lamb thing? Here's why. If your opinion is that God was for a while a lamb, but when he's coming back, oh boy, he's a warrior. That's going to affect your number three, how you live. That's going to affect your ethic. What you believe about God is going to determine what you worship when you're in church, and it's going to affect how you live your life with your neighbors. 
It's just the way it works. So we can't get these out of order. Let me give you another, another example. How many of you have heard the song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us? How Deep the Father? It's a beautiful song. My one problem, though, is that there's a line in it that the church called heresy 1,700 years ago. And it's the line in the song that says, the father turned his face away. How many of you have heard that, 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 that line here? The father, the father doesn't turn his face away from the son. Because the, the Godhead cannot be divided into parts. And the Godhead has no division in it. It's a heresy that was in the early church that God the father turned away from the son. It's just doesn't, it didn't work that way. Well, what happens is when I sing that, I'm not singing truth. I can't get my, my theology of God correct. I can't get my understanding of how I... Def, how I discipline my children will be determined by what I think about God. And if I think that that's how the father treats the son, that's going to affect the way I discipline my children, the way I treat my neighbors, the way I treat my enemies. And so what we have to do is get our number one right so that two is right so that three is right. Let me explain it like this. Number one is what we believe. And that's, that is good. We're going to talk about the confessions of the church, the creeds. You've, you've heard the apostles creed before. I'll have it up on the screen. We're going to talk about, uh, uh, when I was a kid, whether it didn't matter what denomination you were in, but when I was a kid growing up, we had catechism where we would learn the, the theology of God, the theology of man, the theology of Jesus, the theology of the church. Uh, and so we're going to learn those things, those truths about God in that first part, which is learning about God. Learning about God is where we find out what it is that is true about him so that when we worship him, we're worshiping God, that we're actually standing in the presence of God and worshiping God. So now how we worship public acts, I think that a lot of times we have this mentality that we're going to church, and I've said this to you before, but we're spectators in whatever's happening on the stage, right? There's a performance on the stage, and there's preaching on the stage, and there's prayers on the stage, but that's not accurate. When we come to worship, when we come together, think of it like, a, like an electrical current, like a, like a flow of water. When we come to church, we are stepping into the life of God. We are participating in God's life. This is why, this is why we have uh, baptism. When we're baptized, a lot of times people say baptism is a work. It's not a work. In, in baptism, God is baptizing us into the church. God is doing the work. We, we, we have baptism. We have prayer. We have the confession of sin. We have uh, the preaching of the word, the public reading of the word. We have singing of songs and hymns and spiritual songs. We have communion. And in all these things, we're walking in to the, this, this worship time where we are breathing in the life of God. Now, if you commit, I, I say this to my kids all the time, they, they'll, they'll, one of them, here, here's an example, two of them, they sneaked in their <laughs> phones to church. You come into church and this, and, and this is what you're doing, you're missing it. And it's not just, oh, that's disrespectful, pay attention. You're not breathing in. God can't breathe out through you if God has not first breathed in you, right? We, we can't go out into the world with God's grace in us and transformation in us if God has not breathed into us. And so when we come to worship, this is an absolute necessity. This is an absolute necessity because it's the place where God bestows his grace to us. God gives to us his grace. He gives to us his mercy. He confirms and strengthens us. Sometimes when we talk about grace, it's kind of like this envelope in the air of grace. God, God's just gracious, Right? And I was going to bring a, a lamp with me today, but let's pretend I have a lamp in my hand, right? If I had this lamp in my hand and it's unplugged and I was just waving it around the room, I would say, do you all believe that there is electricity in these walls? 
It's not a trick question. Yes, right? Like, because there's the, there's the outlets, right? Do you believe that there is electricity in these walls? Yes. And I believe it. And there's just, the walls are so electrical. The walls are so electrical. What happens? Nothing. But when I take the plug and I put it into the actual outlet, what flows through? The electricity flows through. We can't think of God's grace as just a, it's a feeling God has. Or it's a state of being. It's not. It's an actual empowerment. It's his own self that he intends to empower us. When we, when we eat the bread, as he taught, taught us, when we hear the preaching of the word, the public reading, when we do it together, which we will, that is God actually infusing us with grace so that we are strengthened and the light bulb goes on. Some of us are coming into church and we're so busy and we're running around and we're doing this, that, and the other thing. And I know because I'm doing it with you and we're, we, you know, we're so busy that we just never had any time where we plugged in. We never had any time where we plugged into the moment and participated. And this, is, this, this will help you. God does not exist in space or time. When you begin to worship, you have to, oh, I have to be loud. Sorry. <laughs> when you begin to worship. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> my, my Samantha was listening to the, um, oh, I'm recording, by the way, and I'll explain to you why in a little bit. But if I point to my phone, you're like, what are you? My Samantha was listening, and she goes, one day I was preaching, and she goes, boy, you really started to get loud right there. And I was like, I know, sometimes the old, like, Baptist style starts coming out, and I start getting loud, and it gets to be, so forgive me if it gets that way. But when we come together in worship, all of space, time, and matter is coming together at that moment where we are standing in heaven with the angels that are surrounding the throne. This is a, this is a, this is a real event that's happening. You're not going to go walk in. Are we in Manuka? Yes. Okay. You're not walking into an auditorium in Manuka when you go into the service. You're stepping into the heavenlies. You're stepping into the holy of holies, into the space where all of the angels are surrounding the throne. Two wings cover their face, two wings cover their feet, two wings fly. All the saints that have come before, past and present are together with us. Everyone, if someone's having church right now in South Africa or in Canada or Australia, we are all coming together at once around the throne in a real way. The word spiritual doesn't mean figurative. Sometimes we say, well, God's not here in person, but he's here spiritually. And what we mean is God's here figuratively. It's not true. Spirit is as real as physical. You just can't see it. When we step into church and we enter into this time of worship, we are entering into worship with all the saints past and present. And you are entering into the throne room with God and with Jesus Christ. And so be there. When you're there, be there participate. I tell my boys, sing the song. I don't know the song. I don't care. Mouth the words. Participate and breathe in. And they won't. Pray for my children. <laughs> if you sit behind me in church, I'm sorry. <laughs> Someone's like, hey. <laughs> How we worship is more than just the order of service. How we worship is participating in the life of God. So participate while we're there. Turn it all off and participate. How we live then is affected by how we worship because it's then God breathing out of us into the world when you leave this place. Every service is you coming in and being told, you're forgiven of your sins, here is the grace of God, now go in peace into the world and preach the gospel. That's every service. Every time we meet, that's it. You come here, you breathe in God, and then when you go out, it's God living his life through us. 
And so we're going to learn what is the Christian ethic and what is the Christian spiritual practices. How do we practice together uh, as Christians? Any questions so far or comments? I know this is a lot of introduction, but yeah, go ahead. Tony, what am I at currently? 7% Pentecostal. I'm like, right now I'm listening to a guy that's teaching through the Augsburg Confession, so I'm like 14% Lutheran, so it's great. It's great. Uh, here's, some, here's some rules that I want to talk to you about, uh, about the class. Now, rules don't, uh, that was probably a bad word for it. But number one, participation and engagement. I want to participate with you, which means for a portion of the service, it won't be me teaching, but it'll be us together participating, and I'll show you that in a moment. Uh, number two, and the second one is engagement. Uh, talk. Ask me things, get me off topic. I don't care what it is. If, if in the process of talking about it, the Lord is like, ask him about that thing you read. Ask him about such and such. I'll do my best to talk about it with you. I'm not authoritative on all of it. Okay, that's fine. Uh, number two, I'm using this word ecumenical approach. What I mean by that is we're going to survey what the church in whole has done for a very long time. And so we may talk about Martin Luther, we may talk about Thomas Aquinas, we may talk about St. Augustine. We may talk about a lot of different topics and areas and people that have <clears throat> influenced the church whole, okay? But this is why this is important. Number three is without presumption. A lot of times you don't know that the person sitting next to you is not of the same religious and political stripe that you are exactly, and that person would be harmed in their spiritual growth if every time you wanted to bring up a question, you degraded something that they're still wondering about, okay? And then they're not gonna be able to talk. Okay, so there may be, and I've said this joke to you before, but you, you may be a really hardcore Christian conservative Republican and the person next to you is not, and they have questions about our faith that if every time we say something, your joke is, yeah, right, Biden, they're not gonna talk because they're nervous. Okay, so without presumption, someone may have grown up here that is just new to Baptist stuff and they may raise their hand and go, how come my entire life uh, I've heard the word Eucharist and you guys keep saying the word Lord's Supper? We're going to do everything without presumption so that everybody in this room is comfortable talking, comfortable saying, I want to talk about this subject. And they don't have to worry that the person next to them is going to be like, you what? Okay, that's that's what I want to do. So. We're going to take a universal approach to the church and the history of the church. So if I bring up something, don't get worried. I said the word catechism. I know sometimes someone, I say catechism and somebody's like, <gasps> I'm just using the word catechism because it's the best word that I have for it. So without presumption, I don't care. Hey, Jeremy, this is what I'm thinking. Hey, this is what I'm wondering. Let's talk about it. So let's, 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 let's do that. Okay, so those are kind of the class rules. And I think that's where, okay. When I talked about engagement, so that's the end of the lesson. Lesson's over. When I talk about engagement and participation, this is what I mean. There's going to be teaching in this class, but we're also going to read the Psalms together. Because instead of telling you, hey, go out and fight the devil, we'll just take a minute and fight him right here. Amen. Right? Instead of telling you, hey, you guys should pray, we're just going to pray right here. We're going to do it together. We're going to do some traditional prayers. The church has always prayed. Prayers are in the Bible. You've already admitted, because I saw you raise your hand and you shook your head, that you struggle with prayer, that you struggle with reading your Bible. So do I. So do I. All right? And so what we're going to do is we're going to do it together. That'll do it for our introduction to the Essentials class. After the lesson that you just heard, I spent a little time with the class doing some of the things that we had mentioned throughout. We read a psalm, we sang a psalm, we went through the Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Prayer. And you will hear that as we do it together and integrate it into our lesson. 
in upcoming weeks. I gave two pieces of resource to the class this week. One was the Buried and Born Five Relationships handout, and the other is our quarterly prayer guide. Both of those are available at buriedandborn.com, or you can subscribe to our Substack, which is buriedandborn.substack.com. You follow us on Instagram at buriedandborn. You'll be able to sign up there as well. But all of the resources that are available to the class, we're making available to you for free. And in the weeks to come, there's a few more resources and study guides that we will have, and I will make them available as we mention them in the class. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will come back and begin to discuss what it means to be buried and born and what the five relationships are that we can participate in to grow up into and closer to Jesus Christ.